Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. Let's go to your scriptures and uh, let's turn to Genesis 126, verse 26 through 31. The title of today's message is The Responsibility of Imagers. The Responsibility of Imagers. Now, what we're looking at is the creation order. And here's the deal in the creation order. It is God's way of speaking reality to us and how we are to react to that reality. He created reality, and he says, this is how you function in that reality. you got to keep this in contextual framework. In these passages, you're going to be told what our duties are as human beings. It's not necessarily dealing with salvation, okay? These are creation mandates from the Lord that he expects of every human being, every culture, everything. So this is not necessarily a salvation thing. Now, eventually, does it intermix with our sanctification? Absolutely. But when I'm speaking on these certain things that God puts down in Genesis, it is creation order. So it means every human who has ever lived throughout all time, okay? And so you don't want to mix these in with salvation because a lot of churches now are including what's called the dominion mandate, this Genesis 1 information, into the Great Commission, and you can't do that. That's a mistake. And so you want to make sure you keep your dominion mandate, as we'll look at it today, separate from salvation and sanctification and understand that context, Now, what you're going to study is what God expects of human beings and what he wants from them. And so if you want to say, well, what does God expect of me? What does he expect of society? Here's what he'll say. And what you have to understand, it's like an inverted pyramid. Again, he's speaking to Israel and he's telling them how to form their society and how he wants it. So that's the overall context. So what it starts with is an inverted pyramid. And at the base of the pyramid, inverted, is the individual. And then on top of the individual, then is the family unit. Then on top of the family unit is the extended family. And then on top of the extended family is the society or culture. And then on top of the society and culture is the nation. So you have this inverted pyramid where the very foundation of a nation, society, culture, family is the individual. Then the individual family unit and then so forth. So here's what the statement is. God is telling what human beings are responsible for in order to have a society or a nation that functions correctly. And if that individual functions right, then great. But if that individual starts becoming dysfunctional, you will have a breakdown in society. It's the way it works. And so we're seeing now the breakdown of society. We say, well, what can we do? We've got to change our nation. We've got to change. The only way you're going to change the nation is if you change the individual. You have to start at the grassroots level is what God is saying in Genesis 1. And it gives the individual these responsibilities, and hence the word responsibility. This is the scary word that people don't like in our culture. What is happening in America is people are being taught their rights, victimhood, instead of responsibility. 
and responsibility to the commands of Genesis, or even to, on a secular level, to the Constitution of the United States. Now, God has given us the free will, whether we do these or not. There, there are, they're not suggestions, they're commands, but you do have the free will not to do them. And you're seeing our, 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 our culture not do them. Okay? Okay, so follow me on this. Let me give you an example of where I'm going with this. This is interesting about humans. When human beings go to the doctor, this is a, a weird phenomenon. They'll go to a doctor and say they have some pain, some ill, something going on with them. Doctor says, okay, we're going to run some tests, and here's what we have found out. You have this, you have that, whatever X, Y, and Z is. And let's just say it's, uh, it's, it's a swath of a hundred people that go to the doctor, okay? Then they get that prescription from that doctor, whatever disease they have. And I want you to think about this. Doctor says, here's the prescription. I need you to take these pills to help you deal with what you got. Okay. Out of that hundred people, a third of them won't fulfill the prescription. So the remaining 67 get the medication, but then won't take it properly. They'll miss doses. They'll quit taking it early. They won't finish it out. They might not even take it at all. They might get the, the meds, but they won't take it. And this is the interesting thing. The physicians, the pharmacists say the major problem with people is non-compliance to their prescriptions. They simply won't take their prescriptions the right way. Either they take it in error, in action, or non-compliance. And of course, they say, we can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. But I want you to notice another phenomenon like this, okay? This is weird. The same people that won't take their prescription meds might have a dog or a cat, okay? And Fluffy or Fido acting funny. And so they go to the vet. And so they go to the vet and, and they say, man, he's got, he's got arthritis. He's got this. He's got that. Well, hey, we got to do whatever we can to fix Fluffy and, and, and fix Fido up. And so whatever it takes, doc, whatever it takes. Okay. I fixed him up. Here's the pills he's got to take. And man, he's got to take them five times a day. And you're going to have to give him injections, by the way. And then you're going to have to do this thing where you have to clean him and this and that. Okay. And the same person that won't take their own personal meds will make sure that dog gets those meds five times a day, gets the injections, make sure it's clean, and make sure that dog gets the, uh, the proper care beyond, beyond anything you can imagine. Question, why would somebody go crazy and overboard with the dog, but yet won't take their own meds to help their own health? Can you figure that one out? Why do they care more about the dog than they do themselves? Because this is a weird phenomenon. It's, they've been, they've traced this, that people will actually take care, better care of their pets than they do for themselves. Do you know what it comes down to? They're irresponsible for themselves. They would rather be more responsible for a dog than for themselves because the trait that human beings have because of the fall, is we're irresponsible. That's the problem. And what you're going to see through all these texts is that God is saying, you're responsible, you're responsible, you're responsible. 
and you're not a victim. See, these people that won't take responsibility seriously for themselves, they take the victim stance, and then they want to go fix everyone else. They don't want to fix their own house, but they want to fix everyone else. Everyone else is the problem. So instead of giving themselves advice, they want to give other people advice. And here's the deal. We're seeing a phenomenon grow more and more in our culture. I want you to think about the millennial generation. It's not that I'm picking on them, but man, the numbers don't lie. We were having a major problem with this younger generation. Nothing that we've ever seen before. And this is the generation that was raised by hyper-protective parents. The helicopter parent, the mower parent, who just mowed people down to get, you know, to make way for their kid. These are the kinds of kids who played on soft surface playgrounds. Do you remember the playground you played on? Do you remember the, the, yeah, you remember the equipment that they had out there? The merry-go-rounds? They don't even do merry-go-rounds anymore. We used to get that merry-go-round spinning as fast as we could, and guys would start flying off that thing and spinning out all over the ground. Teachers didn't care. You want to kill yourself? Go ahead and kill yourself. Spin that thing as fast as you can. We get those swings going as, as high. I mean, we had tall swings, and we would, we would Peter Pan off the top of that and be floating in the air like a spaceman and come crashing down. It was awesome. And the yard duty didn't say anything. But my kids go to school. They can't even play tag now. Tag is off limits. No more merry-go-rounds. Soft padded surfaces. Should it shock any one of us that when they go to college and someone's offensive with their language, you know, as far as saying that your views are wrong, now they need Play-Doh to play with, a puppy to cuddle, they need safe spaces for them. It's happened. Oh, because, you know, you're a victim. We're raising spiritual wimps. That's what happens when you create a victim mentality that won't be responsible and you, you can see that what's, what's going on, man. So God is saying this. Here's your responsibility. This is what I want you to do, and I want you to follow me on this. Let's go into the text and see what he says specifically about this. And this is the last part of verse 26. And it says this. Let them have dominion. So there's what's called the dominion mandate. And it says, over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So this idea of the dominion mandate is, is that because we're imager, a position that God has given human beings, we are responsible for creation in this sense, that we're, we're a, a vice regent under God to rule the planet and over the animals and the material earth. Now, again, this is before the fall. You have to understand this is before the fall. But we have taken the spot that Satan had. And what do you mean? Well, I talked about this earlier on when we first looked at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And we understand that the fall of Satan happened between verse 1 and verse 2. Because it left the earth in a destructive state of tohu bohu, darkness, the face of the deep. And what we found out is that Satan was given authority over the original earth, over the Garden of Eden, the mineral garden, a different type of planet that was created for the angels. He fell, lost dominion. 
The planet then is cursed because of him. And out of that curse, God recreates planet Earth for man to have dominion. So now man is put in that spot that Satan and his angels were in. And man now occupies that spot. We'll see later on in Genesis 3 that man loses his dominion by the usurper Satan. And Satan then becomes the god of this world. He usurped it. But anyway, at the onset, we're looking at this picture of man as being over the planet. Now, does it still have some effect? Of course it does. Yes, man has lost that that status, but he's still responsible. And that's the key phrase. He's still responsible. And we'll talk about that. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Well, again, we're imagers. I don't want to rehash that, but we talked the last sermon all about being an imager. First duty, first precept, first understanding you must understand about human beings. He created them male and female. He created them. Bingo. So we're to have dominion over the animals, over the material. But the first thing he says, I want to make sure all human beings understand. I created two sexes, male and female. Why do you think he has to say that? Doesn't it seem obvious? No, not anymore, right? It's not obvious. So sometimes you think, why does God state the obvious? Well, when he states the obvious, it anticipates that someone will challenge it. That's why. Hence today. Right? I mean, this makes perfect sense. He's saying, hey, when I created humans, there's only two genders. But according to Facebook, there's 52. So who am I going to believe? Mark Zuckerberg or God? I think I'm going to go with God. There's not 52, right? And I don't care what people feel. Well, I've always felt this way. I don't care what you feel. What the scripture said is God is speaking reality. I only created two genders. Now, of course, people could have gender dysphoria, but it's not because they were born that way like Lady Gaga said, right? It's because the environmental influences on them pushed them in a certain direction. Let me give you an example. Now, I've talked about, like, sexual trauma that's happened to people that creates gender dysphoria, and, and it, 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 they feel like, well, I feel like I'm a girl, or I feel like a boy, or I feel like I'm gay or a lesbian, because of, of, of sometimes being sexually molested by same-sex gender. Okay, there's that aspect. You know what the other aspect is? Environmental influence from the family. Really? Yeah, and they don't want to talk about this. Let me give you an example. When I got my tonsils out, when I was in second grade, I was at downtown Mercy. And that was when the, you, it wasn't an in-out thing. It was like a four-day procedure, man. Remember that? It was a big deal. So I went to Mercy. I got my tonsils. I had to be in second, first grade, somewhere in that neighborhood. So I, had, I, I went there, and of course, as a little guy, I brought my stuffed animals to comfort me. So I had my lions and tigers and bears on my with me right there, okay? So there's all my stuffed animals as a little guy. I had a roommate in there who was also getting his tonsils out. And I can remember that as clear as a bell, man. This was going back into the 70s, man. We were listening to Elton John at the time. I just remember going to the hospital, listening to Elton John. Weird. So here I am. It's, it's just, it's so clear to me. So they put me in this room with this other kid. He's having his tonsils out. Same age. So I'm putting up all my stuffed animals to comfort me. I look over there and I say, what's that guy doing? He's a boy. He was putting Barbies. All along his bed, Barbies. 
And he brought coloring books. And all the coloring books were Barbie. I'm second grade. I'm seven years old. I don't know what to think of this. And I'm saying, how come he doesn't play with boy toys? Why is this other boy in the bed next to me have a bunch of Barbies? And I'm thinking, I would never play with a Barbie as I was a little boy. I was thinking to myself, that's crazy. What's wrong with that kid? At the time, I didn't know what was happening. But now, looking back, I understand the parents weren't reinforcing this and letting him do that. Bless God, if your kid, if you have a boy, and all of a sudden, I want to play with Barbie, you need to knock that off. You need to stop that. You're not playing with Barbies. And same thing with girls. You see these parents turn the girl into a tomboy because daddy wants a boy. And so he turns this little girl and he pushes on masculinity on a girl. Look, parents, God is saying I'm creating male and female. Train up a child in the way he should go. If he's a boy, train him to be a boy. Train him to be a man. If he's a girl, train him to be a lady. That's our job. We are not to gender bend. We are not to, well, this real fluidity and all this other stuff. And, and of course, puberty messes with people's minds. There's no doubt about it. Kids go crazy. If you notice your kid, when they go to puberty, they don't think straight anymore. And I'm like, what happened to my kid, man? He's had temporary insanity. He doesn't even think straight. And mom and dad don't know anything. Are you, are you, are you part of that club? The mom and dads that don't know anything? I'm in that club right now. You are to teach boys to be men. Teach girls to be ladies. That's what our job... You know, you think, oh my gosh, that's so simple. Why do you even have to say that? Because it's not being done. It's just not being done. We got our first Christmas card this year from one of my wife's friends from college. They sent a picture of, and I think I told you this, uh, their boy has got to be 10 years old. He put him in a dress on the Christmas card. And I'm thinking, we saw him in Gomorrah. Uh, got rained down fire for this stuff, man. But you see in Genesis, the first thing come right, right around the box, male and female, male and female, male and female. You think, wow. Okay, think about this. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just go into some application because it's extremely important. He is saying, I put you guys in charge of the planet. And the way you guys have to run the planet is, is based on two sexes because it leads into what institution he's going to create called marriage. And I'm going to put the two together. A male and a female will be together. They'll be for interdependence. They'll be for reproduction. Because, by the way, Adam and Steve can't reproduce. Right? So the main reason is reproducing the population. Okay? They can't do that. So it's from compatibility. But it's for the family unit. What studies... Odd infinitum show is that kids do extremely well when there's a mom and dad in the home. Okay. Now, aside from, you know, the, the poor single folks that have to re- raise kids, and we understand that there's those situations, but the ideal is a mom and a dad in the home. Bar none, without any exception, when you look at all the studies, all the things they say about it, if you want to raise a good generation, you've got to have a mom and dad in the home. And this is not even, we're not even talking about Christianity right now. We're just not even talking about Christianity. This is creation order stuff. This is the bedrock of any society. The minute you neglect marriage, your society will crumble down. It will, it will fall and it will, it will go into the, the, the ashes of history 
if you don't support the sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman. So when you start seeing this, you think, well, there's a, this is a lot deeper than I thought. Yeah, it is. It is a lot deeper than we thought because we're seeing the results of this. Now, look in verse 28 with me. It says, then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Have babies, right? Have babies. And you think, okay, I get that. I get that. You got to have a male and a female for that, right? Yeah, yeah, you do, because the plumbing's got to work. <laughs> right? I mean, the, the plumbing's got to be there. I mean, two guys, two girls can't can do that. I mean, it's simple biology. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even bringing Christianity into this. I'm bringing simple biology, simple chemistry into this of how God created human beings. You go into the animal world. If you're going to breed dogs, you've got to have a male and a female. I don't care what kind of animal you have. You have to have males and females. It just doesn't work. But the point is, have babies. Have babies. Why? The point is, I've given you the dominion mandate. The only way you're going to keep doing the dominion mandate is you've got to populate the planet. You've got to spread out. You've got to have babies. Okay, and you think, well, that was a long time ago. They were an agrarian society, and uh, they needed farmhands. No, that's not what he's saying. Now, I get that. That happened here, you know, House in the Prairie days. We needed farmhands, and... Having a lot of kids helped you out around the farm. I get that. And, and it helped Israel too, having a lot of kids. But it wasn't necessarily for agrarian purposes. This is pre-agrarian. This is before they even were farming. It's a creation order. I want them to have babies. I want them to spread out. Okay. You think, okay, what's the big deal about this? What happens when a society doesn't have babies? It dies. You will not keep up with the death rate. You just won't. And with our current death rate, we're not keeping up. Okay, so what's the big deal? So we're not keeping up. Well, as you'll see later on, God wants nations. He wants different nations. He wants France. He wants England. He wants Spain. He wants America. He wants Canada. He wants Mexico. He wants South America. And all this, these, he wants individual nation states. The minute a country or a nation stops having babies, they will be taken over by another nation. And he does not want that happening. He wants individual nation states. This is what's happening in Europe, as you know. They are not having kids. It's very concerning, guys. Let me show you some stats on the Europeans. This will blow you away. Europeans have about 1.55 kids. And by the way, they're not having kids until way later in life. Way later in life. I mean, sometimes they're into the late 30s, 40s, sometimes 50s having kids. Why are they not having kids in their late 20s, early 30s, somewhere in that neighborhood? Why, why are they not having kids? They're selfish. They're playing around. They like living single. Because guess what? In order to have kids, you have to be responsible. You have to grow up. You have to stop doing your life and start living for someone else. That's the sign of adulthood. That's the sign of responsibility. But the Europeans don't want responsibility. 
And so they stop having kids. Let me show you some stats. Look at, look at these countries. Germany, 1.5. Keep going down. Italy, 1, 1.35. Sweden, 1.85. France, 1.96. England, 1.80. Muslims in Europe have, though, 2.6 kids. They have the highest fertility rate in the world at 2.9. By the way, just stop right there. If Europe keeps this up, the Muslims are going to outpopulate them within 10 to 20 years. By 2050, Europe will turn into Urbekistan. No joke, man. They will be overpopulated. They will be outpopulated because they're not having kids. Think about all the European leaders, guys. They don't have kids. Macron for France, Merkel from Germany, they don't even have families. How come they don't have kids? How come, you know, they, they might have a mistress or something like that, but how come they're, they're, they, they don't have kids? None of them do. Why is that? This has been a question that a lot of people have asked about these European leaders. Why don't they have kids? It's the weirdest thing we've ever seen. They're going to be outdone by the Muslims any day. I mean, they, uh, they, they, and it's not just the fertility of the Muslims. It's the, the movements of populations into Europe that's taking over. That's the problem. And so we're, we're seeing Europe change its complete face because of this. What's America? We're not too far behind. Let me read you some stats real quick about what's happening in America. In America, this is a U.S. wedding forecast for demographic intelligence as millennials in the next five years will have more of its numbers at a typical marrying age than any previous generation, but they are also less likely to tie the knot than their predecessors. The report shows a marriage rate of 6.74 per 1,000 people per year. The uh, Let me keep reading this. With the number expected to fall slightly lower than each of the next two years, in 2008, the marriage rate in America was 7.09. Others uh, have made similar findings. The Pew Research reported recently that one-fourth of millennials are likely to eschew marriage entirely. So the idea the report is saying is the millennials are not getting married. They're just not. Worse than we've ever seen in, in American history. Next one, 2017, only 9% of 18 to 24-year-olds in the U.S. were married compared to 40, think about this, 45% in 1960. We go from 45% of that age bracket being married in 1960 to only 9% being married. In 2011, The Economist, this is a June 23rd issue, reported that only 45% of all households include a married couple. That's a consensus. So what do you mean? So in your neighborhood... And, you know, I understand there's retired people that are living single, then you have single people. But a lot of the people in your neighborhood, about, uh, let's just say 40%, okay, to be generous. About 40%, the people in your neighborhood, just in general, throughout America, are not married. They're shacking up, cohabitating, living together, whatever you want to call it. They're not married, by the way. If they're not married, they might be having kids, but they're not married. If you don't get married, what does that mean? It means you're not committed. And so I can come and go. And so a lot of people say, well, you know, marriage is just simply a piece of paper. No, it's not. It's a testimony of witnesses that saw you make a covenant with somebody. That's the problem, that people don't see it like that, that people witnessed that. And so you think it's you could just come and go, it's be, oh, it's just a piece of paper. If you think it's just a piece of paper, you're out of your mind. That's what the culture thinks, though. 
And, and, and so you have the no-fault divorce and, well, they come and go, this and that. Look, if you're a teacher, then you know the ramifications of this no-fault divorce thing that's going on with families. Because most teachers will tell you in their classes, the majority of the kids in there, stepkids, second, third, fourth, sometimes marriages, and, and they, they want to know why these kids are doing bad in school. Their home life is a disaster. Some of them don't even have their own rooms. They're sleeping on a couch because mom has a new boyfriend and he's there and he's brought his kids in. And so now junior's on the couch because we don't have a room for him. Think about what that does to people, man. And you think, well, okay, we're expecting them to do well in society. No, you're setting them up to be at risk. It's that, you know, and it's becoming down to, you won't stay married. Number one, you probably shouldn't have got married, but you won't stay married. And you just go on and go on, and people are practicing what's called serial monogamy. When God instituted this, it was the idea of one partner for life until death do you part. That's the ideal. Now, I know it can't sometimes happen like that, and we understand that. But anyone that will tell you that's been through a divorce, they'll say that was a nightmare. That was a complete nightmare. I don't ever want to go through that again. People know it, but that's what God says. I don't, that's not my ideal. That's not what I want. And he, he continues and he says, fill the earth in the other passage. Well, the only way you can fill the earth and spread out is you've got to have babies. You've got to have kids. Well, this brings us to the application then. Human beings, Christian or non-Christian, are responsible to be married at a Marian age or called to be responsible to be adults and raise these kids to create stable societies. That's the creation order. You think it's so simple, and it is. But what's happening now? There's been an assault by Satan on this institution called marriage. There's an assault on gender. There's an assault on this whole foundation. And why do you think he's doing that? Because Satan knows, and he's not a dummy, if he can knock out the family unit, which is the bedrock of a society, then he can take the society by force. When there's not good moms and dads who are just responsible enough to raise the kids that God gave them, the society will break down. And he knows that. So if we're going to a one world government and we've got to have a nanny state where everyone's dependent on the state because they're a victim, well, the first thing you got to do is destroy the family unit. Destroy the marriage. You got them. You destroy the family unit. You destroy the marriage. Who will the kids attach themselves to? The government. That's what the government, that, I mean, that's what these kids, these millennials are looking for. They want Bernie Sanders to give them free health care. They want Bernie Sanders to give them free education. Instead of looking to their mom and dad, they're looking to the government to help them. Do you see the breakdown? It's a, it's a breakdown in their thinking because they don't accept marriage as it stands. So now you've got all, all kinds of people, gay marriage, transsexual marriage, you got the polygamists now wanting to get in on the act, and Pandora has been blown open. Pandora's box is open, and now I, you know, I'm waiting for someone to come up and says, I want to marry an animal. I'm just waiting for that one. I want to marry an animal. 
it's, if you watch, it's, it's something's going to happen. What's the point? What's some application before we, we, we've got to tie this up? We'll, we'll continue this next week in this dominion manner, but this is an important issue. Okay. Let me give you this in principle. We have been given a very, very valuable mandate, a very valuable uh, position as an imager of the Messiah, imager of God, right? That's a very valuable thing. Life is very valuable. And he says, this is how we need you to be responsible. Because it's so valuable, you have to be very responsible with it. Okay. I want you to think about this. This will blow you out of the water. Every year, as you know, people's kidneys start failing on them. And you know the whole thing about dialysis. If, you, if you've had a loved one that's been on dialysis, it's a disaster, right? I mean, they got to go three to four times a week get hooked up to a machine that pumps their blood through and they're on that machine for hours and they got to do it two, three, four times a week, whatever the thing is. They can't drink very much, can't drink too much water. And it's just, it's just a series of complications once you're on dialysis, right? It's, it's a disaster when your kidneys shut down. It happens to a lot of people. This is a thing that irritates you as a human being, okay? This happens quite frequently. So someone's kidneys go on the fritz. They have to go on dialysis, and then they get on a waiting list for a kidney. Okay? So it's a long list. But they sometimes can get that kidney, right? And to get a kidney is really rare, right? It's really rare, rare, and you have to wait in line. If you're past a certain age, you can't get it. So it's a real rare thing to get a kidney. But sometimes it happens, right? So there'll be an accident. Someone will pass away in the accident, but their kidneys are still good, and they have decided to donate those kidneys, right? And they put it on their California driver's license or whatnot. I, I'm an or, organ donor. So they harvest those kidneys. So here's two good kidneys, and they want to give those kidneys to people on that waiting list. Okay, so follow me on this, because this happens quite frequently. So here's this guy, and he's all pumped up, man. He's gonna have to, he doesn't have to do dialysis anymore, man. He's going to finally get a kidney and be back on track and, and kind of live a semi-normal life at this point in time. He's pumped up about it. But here's what the doctor says, okay? Your body's gonna try to reject the kidney that we give you. But we have these medications that actually you have to take for the rest of your life in order for your body not to reject the kidney. And he goes, yeah, man, I'll do anything. Just give me a kidney. I'll do anything for that kidney, man. I'll take any medication. Just tell me what I need to do. I am there, man. All right. They sign the papers. The guy goes into surgery. They give him a new kidney. And he comes out with a new kidney. And they said, okay, here's your meds. Now you must take them the rest of your life. And you must always be on them. Otherwise, your body will reject the kidney. Now, this is what upsets us. What if the person who got the kidney got the kidney from one of your relatives that had been in a car accident and died? So I want to make it real for you that this is one of your loved ones that died in a car accident and you donated that kidney directly to that guy. And this is what you find out that the guy won't take his medication that he's delinquent on taking it. He's now having to start problems with his kidneys because he won't take his, his, his medication and his body's now rejecting the kidney. And this happens a lot. And they simply, just because of their irresponsibility, won't take the meds. 
And guess what? The guy dies. The guy dies in the process of it. Question. How do you feel as part of the family who donated the kidney to an individual that it would save his life if he would just take the meds? How do you feel? Oh, uh, I'm pretty angry about that. Because my, my loved one had to sacrifice their life for you to live. I'm a little upset about that. Because what you've shown that you discounted the sacrifice because you're irresponsible. Because you won't take your meds. Step back from that. What do you think God feels when people are irresponsible towards his commands in which his son died for them. I'll leave it at that. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.